The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, brokered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast 2018 UCF Football Preview Show. My name is Jeff Sharon. And uh, it is hard to believe we're recording this on Monday, August the 27th. We are just 96 hours away from UCF football. And uh, my gosh, the offseason's over. Now that we've settled the whole national championship question, it's time for everything to start happening. Uh, my name is Jeff Sharon. Joining me uh, tonight will be Brian Murphy. Hey, Brian. Hi, Jeffrey. Hey, Eric Lopez. He's joining me, too. What's up, Elo? What's going on? And joining us for the first time, the former Inside the Dungeon on Twitter. Now, we're going to use his actual name now. Luke Saris joins us uh, for this show. How are you, Luke? Welcome aboard. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We are happy to have you here because it means a little bit less work for the three of us. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We've got... uh, All right. So we are Black and Gold Banneret. uh, We are SB Nation's home for UCF Knights Sports. Uh, you can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. You can hit us up at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret and on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret as well. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. Brian is at Spokes underscore Murphy. And Luke is at Luke Saris. That's with two R's, S-A-R-R-I-S, S-B-N, Luke Saris, S-B. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, if you don't already, on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. All right, here's the drill, boys. We're going to start by talking basically four major topics. We're going to talk about Josh Heupel and his staff coming in to UCF in their first season. Uh, we, will talk, we will then transition to the offense, and then we will talk the defense and Randy Shannon and talk about the schedule. We're going to just kind of give our thoughts in general about this team coming off, of course, a 13-0 undefeated season, the first undefeated year in UCF history, national championship, uh, as officially recognized by the NCAA this week. Um, can't take it away. It's in the book. And now here we are. Josh Heupel becomes, uh, or at least he's trying to become, only the third UCF head coach to get to uh, post a winning record in his first season. Uh, he is uh, also trying to become the first head coach to take over an undefeated so-called Group of Five team since 1984 to take over the year after they were undefeated. Uh, he's only the third guy to do that. He's trying to become only the second to achieve a winning record. So a uh, tall task in front of Josh Heupel. Brian Murphy, I'm going to start with you. You've been around this team since they started camp. Um there's been a lot of questions in the fan base. So, you know, we know that this is a different guy than Scott Frost. But if you mm-hmm. could compare and contrast the two, how would how is Josh Heupel different than what we've seen before? Uh, just from talking to him, they're both pretty close to the vest as far as you know things they they don't want you to know uh, and things they want you to know. I think you know one thing about Josh that stands out is is how much he's talked about family and connection and look all coaches talk about that about wanting to bond with their players and have this uh, relationship with them that that goes beyond football but Josh has talked about it so much 
Uh, and you see it on Twitter with all his photos with uh, with different different cl- uh, classes and different uh, 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 position groups. Uh, it really feels like it's like part of the crux of his coaching. It's like, look, we're we're gonna try to win football games, but you know, we're also really concentrating on the off the field stuff and and trying to really make a relationship here, which has been crucial for a first year staff taking over this team with this much talent. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I'm sure, you know, and Scott Frost, obviously a lot of players still love him. Um, so in that way they are similar, but, uh, I think that that aspect with Josh Heupel has been really consistent. And after a while, it's just like, yeah, he, he really believes this. I mean, it's not just sort of, uh, he's not just trying to make a good sound bite. Like it's really part of who he is. Have the so players, I think that's one thing I've really out. Sorry, Brian. Do you, have the players bought in? Do you feel like they bought in? I think so now. I mean, uh, you know, there were certainly people that were skeptical. I think more so with the defensive switch um, going from the 3-4 to the 4-3 about how this is all going to work. But certainly I think they know that the coaches are are in. You know, they're all in on this too. Uh, you know, I think they're bought in. Certainly on offense because – the speed isn't really changing. Uh, a lot of the principles are going to be the same. Like those guys, you know, it's 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 almost pretty. There's a lot of similar routes to what they were already run, so they're cool with it. I think that there was more massaging that needed to be done with the defensive players, and I think at this point, uh, that's been that's been accomplished as well. Eric Lopez, you, you know, you've been there too. You've seen what Heupel has been able to, to has talked about. With this team, um, you know, we followed the process all throughout this period of time. Do you sense that the same things that Brian is talking about here, that, that, that you know, it, obviously there's going to be some growing pains, but that the players feel like they're ready to go here, that there's, that there's not that much more buy-in that has to be done. They're, they're, they're ready to go now under their new leadership. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, I, I don't think you really truly find that out until you're actually in games and you're in the fourth quarter. I mean, spring ball, fall ball, it is what it is. It's what happens between the lines. Now, the thing that Josh has the advantage is he's got a very talented roster coming back. So the truth be told, we may not know how good of a coach Josh Hypo is for a year or two because, really, he's in a kind of a no-win situation. If they, go, if they have a big year this year, well, people are going to say outside of the program, well, that was Scott Frost's players. If he quote-unquote loses a couple games, now people are going to get on him. Like, how can you lose a couple games? So he's kind of in an awkward spot. But yeah, I don't think the players and the, and the coaches, they, they do a good job of blocking all that stuff out. I don't think the – I think people make too much of the adjustment period as far as prior to a football game. I don't think you truly find out – until, okay, how do you handle a third and five? What are you going to call here in a fourth quarter of a one-possession game? So I, I think it's too to be determined to see how they truly click on there. But as far as the players, yeah, I think they've adjusted to it, and I think they're ready to go. We uh, Well, it certainly helps to have a guy like Mackenzie Milton back. Uh, Heisman Trophy candidate, UCF's already begun that campaign. Uh, rewrote a number of things in the UCF record book last year. And you know, we've written before on blackandgoldbanneret.com about how um, how Josh Heupel comes with his own um, offensive credentials, uh, particularly the fact that, you know, look what he did with Mizzou's offense last year. Luke, let's get you in on this as well, because you know, it, 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 this is like, you know, like Eric and Brian talked about, this is such a tough act to follow. But Heupel was successful with Drew Locke uh, at Mizzou. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's... Uh, he comes in with an. I mean, how much more can 
can they realistically think that this offense might improve? And what do we think they might be able to improve heading into 2018? Well, I mean, it's it hasn't been any secret what he's trying to accomplish. He wants to pass the ball, you know, downfield and want, wants to get more uh, vertical deep passing. And he wants to run the, the ball north and south more. Um, so obviously that is a, a little different from how Scott Frost ran the offense last year. But um, I, I don't think we're going to see certainly any lack of production, especially with uh, McKenzie being another year older going into his junior year. Um, I am curious to see how things like those power back situations uh, play out with guys like Cordarian Richardson and, and Jawan transferring. Um, you know, I'm sure we will see guys like Taj and Craig um, take over those roles, but you know, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, he he was successful every, everywhere he went, and he completely transformed that Missouri offense. And um, I don't think there's any doubt by the fans or the players that he is a great offensive mind, and he knows how to put points on the board. Well, that's going to transition us nicely into the next thing I want to talk about, which is about the offense, because that was, to me, over the last two years, just the the stunning turnaround of the UCF offense. How many years... Did we as fans complain about how conservative George O'Leary was, even at the times when he wasn't that conservative? Like thinking back to 2013 when Charlie Taff really allowed Blake Bortles to uh, blossom into eventually a top three NFL draft pick. But um, when we look at this offense last year, you know, like we said, they rewrote the the UCF record books uh, by team. Uh, interestingly enough, I found this out, you know, UCF's run pass ratio last year. 54% run, 46% pass. People think that Scott Frost's offense was a passing offense. It really was not. It had a, a lot of sort of uh, modern twists on the old kind of option offense that he ran at Nebraska So uh, as a player. So in comes Josh Heupel, who wants to attack, like uh, Luke said, up the field a lot more. But uh, and, and in comes Mackenzie Milton. Um uh, Brian, I'll, th- I'll throw it back to you. You know, McKenzie, what a turnaround we saw from last year. What could he possibly do for an encore in 2018? Well, yes, it's it's difficult to repeat what he did. And I think people look at him and see a guy who obviously he runs a lot and he scrambles and he's very uh, he's, he's very improvisational uh, with the way he plays. But he's, he's just a, a very good passer and. And you really look at the stats to see like how accurate he is on his deep balls, which he was very, very much so uh, last season. And I think that's something that he's really stressed uh, so far this year is like, you know, he knows that he can make a play on his own when things break down. But he's he said he wants to, you know, wait more and, and be more patient in the pocket and examine his options. Now, obviously, you know, best laid plans are great until your offensive line breaks down. Um, so, you know, really it's about the offensive line holding up. If he wants to be in the pocket more, the guys in front of him need to block, you know. But I think that's one thing that he's going to try to do is when he got, when he drops back, he's not going to look to run as urgently as he did last year. He's going to try to throw from the pocket. And he showed last year that, you know, either on the run or in the pocket, um, he's a pretty, uh, pretty proficient passer, both in the short range and, and deep. Eric, you know, uh, we've been we saw how good Traquan Smith last year. He led the team with 59 catches, 1,100 yards. Um, he's now uh, a New Orleans Saint and getting ready to steal a starting job over there. 
Jordan Aikens also another 32 catches, 500 yards gone off the team because um, you know he's he decided to take his chances in the NFL. But you spoke this week with a guy who's going to be a key part of this offense. Um, or at least we think so, assuming obviously he stays healthy. Otis Anderson um, in a feature on Black and Gold Banneret that you'll see here. Eric's first uh, seven points uh, feature on what was on Otis. What, what, what do you think about the fact that in the depth chart he's listed as a utility guy? I know we've kind of got used to positionless football, but you know how important is he going to be in, uh, in, in how this offense follows up from last year? Well, I think he's going to be very important because I think he, they're hoping to have him line up and get some mismatches. Uh, you know, I talked to him, obviously. He's going to line up at times at wide receiver. At times he's going to be a running back, and I think that's going to be you know, something he's always been interested in doing since he was growing up. He was watching LaDainian Tomlinson, who's kind of really one of the first to do it in the NFL. And, you know, even more recently, I think Percy Harvin was a guy that he could relate to from a height standpoint and everything like that. So, uh, he's been working hard on that, and I think it gives UCF some, you know, diversity because you know, certainly you're not going to replace a Traquan Smith production or the player. Now they have other receivers, they're talented, but I do think that what made UCF's offense very difficult last year is when you have guys like Adrian Killings, when you have a guy like Otis you know, who, who can bring mismatches right on the field that your defense really can't adjust to, and especially when you go at a very high tempo. You know, Otis could line up at one minute in a running back position. The next minute, he's the, uh, lined out. And you're, as a defense, you're kind of scrambling. So I, I think he's going to get more reps. I think he's going to certainly, uh, in, in talking to him, I get a sense. I think he's ready. He, he feels a lot more mature than he was maybe a year ago, a lot more understands what he's doing more. And, you know, he's got high aspirations. He, he sees what Traquan's doing in the NFL. He, that, I think that's his ultimate goal. And uh, so I, I think he's going to be a big part of that in creating matchup uh, matchup advantages for UCF here throughout the year. Luke, what do you think would could be one of the downfalls here? Like, it, 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 what what would you see would be a situation where all of a sudden things just kind of where we start to get concerned? What what, what are you looking for? Well, I'm not looking for any downfalls, obviously. Uh, you know, I hope maybe this I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, you know, one thing that, you know, I, I don't even want to bring up, but, you know, is a potential injury at, at quarterback. You know, it, it's it's not a, a deep position. Daryl Mack has been, you know, performing well this this camp. But, um, he, you know, besides McKenzie, nobody has any actual game experience. So, I mean, you know, that that is kind of like a doomsday uh, scenario. But, um, you know, an, another thing, like I mentioned before, uh, Hypo has not been secret about his desire to run more north and south. And, um, you know, tr- that's not Adrian Killen's style of of. Of football, I'm not saying that he can't, but you know, you want to get him to the edges so he can break free and 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 burn everybody and leave them in you know in the dust. Um, Cordier and Richardson really fit that mold of a, of a true power back, you know, pounding um, you know right up right up the middle. Uh, but he's gone, so you know, guys like Taj and and Greg McCray are going to be um, you know really needed to to fill those roles, but. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious to see how much of the the run game Hypo plans on 
transitioning to that more, you know, north and south truly, um, you know, type of play. So I'm going to throw this question out to the three of you, and I'll let whichever one of you wants to jump in first, answer it first, and we'll go from there. Give me, mm-hmm. give me best case scenario, worst case scenario for the offense uh, for 2018. And I guess, I guess, all right, let me pick Eric. I'll start with you. Say that again. Best case scenario. Give me a best case scenario for the offense and a worst case scenario for the offense, in your opinion. As far as production? Yeah, as far as or, you know, what, what, we would, I mean, what they would be able to do. Here's the problem. I think people have these high expectations based on last year. They might be just as good, but the st- you know it won't feel that way. What I say, but what I mean by that is, people don't realize this. Last year's offense improved per play, two yards a play. No team has done that in over a decade. Uh, it was an so enormous two, two yards per play better than the year before. Yeah. Wow. That's what they have. No team has done that in the last decade. So to suggest. That they're going to, and I've heard people, you know, to suggest they're going to be better. Uh, no, I don't think they're going to be better because that's as good as it gets. Like nobody does that. Nobody jumps two yards. Um, you know, you have to assume everybody stays healthy like last year. I don't think, you know, that 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 people kind of a lot of things bounced right. So I think the high ceiling is they'll be one of the best offenses in the country once again, top three, top five, even number one again in scoring. Who knows? Uh, I think that's the ceiling certainly. But I also wouldn't, you know, wouldn't panic. I think the low ceiling would be, hey, maybe, and 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 I think Luke brought it up, and I think it's an interesting point. The running game, and, and Jeff, you brought it up, and we, when Scott Frost got here, when he got hired, I said this was going to be more of a running team. This is not going to be an aired out team. Mm-hmm. They ran the ball for fifty four percent of the time, as you mentioned. So even though they went fast, they also knew how to adjust. As far as, hey, we need to take some time off here. Let's not go super fast. What's going to happen here will be fascinating. How they run the football. Will they be as effective? Uh, You know, one of the risks is, okay, you want to be more vertical. But if you're too vertical, that could be quick three and out. So I think that's the... The, the, the worst fear is that maybe they don't hit the third the third down conversion rate as high this year as they did last year, which is another underrated stat that people have kind of forgotten about. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Brian? Yeah, the best case scenario is they do exactly what they did last year. Like, uh, it doesn't get any better. Um, <clears throat> the, the worst case scenario is, you know, I have some questions about the offensive line. Like, I know that Wyatt Miller is very experienced and, like, flipping from right tackle to left tackle – may not be a huge adjustment, but they do have basically four guys, four, four guys starting who didn't play their full time last year. Tyler Hudanik, uh, you know, is at left guard, but he was hurt. Uh, you know, he played through a lot of injuries. He played at nine games and was really hurt in most of them. And then the right side of the line is, is basically brand new. Uh, I think if that line, you know, isn't uh, as good as last year's line, which I believe did not give up a sack in like the first six games, uh, of last year, if that line breaks down, then obviously that that blows up everything. That blows up your running game, which this team is dependent upon, uh, and it could get Mackenzie Milton hurt. Which again, like we've mentioned, like he's not uh, a Cam Newton sized quarterback. He's he's pretty thin. He's pretty small, um, so it doesn't take a whole lot of pounding to to break him. Uh, that that's the worst case scenario is that this offensive line is not as nearly as good, and then it, it it kind of derails from there. Luke. Uh, best case scenario, I mean, I, I don't want to be just like everybody else, but I mean, <laughs> that is the best case scenario. How how much better could the offense be? Um, 
if they are scoring more points per game, that will be amazing. And and the thing of it is, is that I say this all the time. It, it's hard to find expectations that are realistic when you're a fan, because when you're a fan, you know, you think, oh, man, this year it's going to be faster. We're going to score more points. It's, it, you know, it's going to be even greater than last year. And to be honest, last year was a perfect storm of of so many different things that came together uh, mm-hmm. for, for things to click right. So, you know, best case scenario, we're still top in the country in, in, in offense, which I, I honestly think we will be. Uh, worst case scenario, um, you know, we there's a dip in production. Um, I don't know whether that would uh, attribute to – uh, lack of skill. I, I think. I think talent-wise, the team's just the offense is just as talented as it was last year. But you know, there there is a learning curve when when uh, implementing a new system. And I know some things will be the same um, or similar to what uh, the team ran last year. But you can't expect um, in one off season for for a team to have a, a new staff come in, change things around, and completely grasp it and and perfect it. Um, so I, I think if there is a, a dip in production, it's going to be um, steadily improved as the season goes on and as they get more comfortable uh, running Heupel's offense, you know, game by game. To give everybody a little bit of perspective here, last year UCF, the scoring offense, uh, tops in the country at uh, 48.2 points per game. They were one of only two teams to score over 600 points. Uh, Oklahoma scored 632. UCF scored 627. But the Knights scored more touchdowns than Oklahoma, 84 touchdowns. They were the, those are the only two teams to score 80 touchdowns on the year. Memphis, interestingly. With, with, less, with less games. Right. With, they, they scored more touchdowns with one fewer game. You're right, Luke. Memphis scored 79 touchdowns in 13 games, which was uh, third best in the country. And they averaged 45.5 points per game. That was second. So if you could see a, a situation where, you know, you, let's say UCF averages, pulling a number out of a hat here, 45 a game. That's a field goal drop from last year, which is kind of unbelievable when you think about it, that they, they could drop three points per game and still theoretically be one of the top five offenses in the country, but that's the situation that we're looking at. So we'll be following that very closely as we head to head into 2018. All right, we're going to take a short break. We come back, we're going to talk about the defensive side of the ball. Randy Shannon comes in, introduces a new defensive system. How's UCF going to adopt to that? And the schedule, of course. It's always a big thing that we have to talk about because quite often uh, how you do in a given season is dictated by who you play and when you play them. Uh, and that was UCF's case last year a lot of the way. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. He's a proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 football season. Night fans, if you work with Sam as your realtor, he will rebate you up to $750 at closing. So if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. 
So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash we sell Orlando. Get in touch with the Unger Real Estate Group today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF Sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF Sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're back here at the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast 2018 UCF Football Preview Show. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy, Luke Saris joining us here. We are SB Nation's home for UCF Sports. UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, Black and Gold Banneret.com. All right, fellas. We talked about the defense, or excuse me, we talked about the offense. Uh, Josh Heupel. And the tough act that they all have to follow. Um, let's switch sides over to the defensive side of the ball. When Josh Heupel was hired, it was basically a two for the price of one. Because Randy Shannon came in the same exact day. He's the defensive coordinator. He does a lot of recruiting. We know how uh, we know that Randy Shannon means defense. Going back to his time at uh, the University of Miami, where he was a player, later a coach. Um, he comes over, of course, from Florida, where, uh, where he worked on their defense. Uh, and was their interim coach, and now he, uh, you know, notoriously, uh, Randy Shannon is not. Um, let's just say he 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 makes himself scarce to the media. Um, however, <laughs> Brian Murphy, uh, he was uh, he was available just recently, and uh, and kind of gave everybody an update on the defense coming into um, this season. So uh, he's there's kind of like this. I don't know, man. It feels like there's this mysterious fog around him since he's come over here to UCF. So what can we glean so far about uh, Randy Shannon uh, in his uh, tenure at UCF to this point? Yeah, we met with him on uh, Sunday, and I believe he actually he actually set his stopwatch to like five minutes. Like they, they wow. said like five minutes, and he like he put it on his stopwatch. <laughs> wow. um, that's, pretty, so anyway, that's pretty ruthless. <laughs> um, hey, hey, you know, he doesn't his job is not, is not to talk to us. So it's fine. Um, I think the one thing we've heard the most, obviously everybody has questions about the linebacking core because of, of Shaquem and what in replacing him. But I think the, 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 the biggest change in going through the four, three and what everybody has said is that they really want the, the frontline guys. Um, your Joey Connors, or Tristan Hills, um, guys like that to, to get up, to get up field and create more tackles for loss, uh, more sacks, um, you know, last year running the three, four, they had guys who were sort of uh, two gapping, um, trying to clog lanes, stuff like that. They want more pressures. Um, so I think that's one thing that, that they're going to try to bring. Um, but again, this is a defense that's got, I think, they're trying to replace, trying to replace six full time starters. 
Um, you know, they, they've got some good depth uh, along the defensive line. Um, the secondary is very much experienced. I'm really looking forward to seeing how those back four play, and they've got some really good young um, backup safeties and corners. Um, that front seven, though, does have some questions because they basically replace three guys on the defensive line, you know, with Jemias Pippen, Tony Garrod, and Savon Lowry. Mm-hmm. And obviously you've got, you know, behind them, Shaquan and Shaquem also leaving. So it sounds great because they've, they've talked a lot how, that, you know, they've got nine or ten guys along the defensive line they really trust and they're going to rotate. And, you know, I talked to uh, Eric Mitchell and uh, Sean Burgess Becker in the last couple of days. They're, they're going to be starting at the Sam and, and Will linebacker spots outside of Pat Jasinski in the middle. Um, and they've all said the right things, and it sounds great, but like with the offense, we just don't know what it's going to look like until we see it on the field. So uh, while they have talent, uh, I, I just don't know if it's enough to replace the six full-time starters that they have to replace and if they have the, the right guys for the, for the new scheme. Uh, Luke, you discussed in, uh, on an article on blackandgoldbanneret.com, shameless plug, um, <laughs> you know, who's going to lead the defense? Like, you know, like Brian was alluding to, um, you know, obviously Shaquem is gone, um, and he was such a, such a huge leader both, you know, on and off the field, not just in terms of running the, the X's and O's and the schemes out there, but... Um, and obviously with his incredibly talented play, but yeah, as a guy that the defense always looked to, um, especially the younger guys out there. So who are some of the guys that, you, that this defense is going to, that, that are going to be some of the big names? Is there someone who's going to more or less take that spot of Shaquem as the, um, as the uh, emotional leaders out there, or maybe a guy who leads by example? The reality of the situation is... Um, <laughs> A player like Shaquem, both um, on the field and and as a leader, they only come around, you know, every so often. It, it's not like you graduate one of those guys and then there's another guy waiting behind him. Sha- Shaquem was a special, special player and a special, special man, and um, you know his his presence is definitely going to be missed. But I, I do think there, um, you know, is a good group of seniors on this defense who will step up and, and definitely lead by example um, just because they've been around, you know, the, these, most of these seniors, you know, they've been through three coaching changes already. Um, so they've, they've played in the four, three, you know, they, they, they've done it all. They've switched schemes, switched coaches. Um, you know, there are guys like Titus Davis who, um, you know, was with Shaquem on the, in, in the linebacker group. Um, previously before switching to the end, I think he's, um, he's been great with the media. I think he's going to be a guy who, um, is, is going to step up and, and be a leader on this defense. Um, Joey Connors is another guy who's, who sticks out every time I hear him talk, he's a real mature presence. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's going to be uh, big as well. And then, you know, you got guys like Pat Jasinski, um, who, you know, I think he'll be one of those guys who leads by example. Uh, you know, he's he's a real quiet kind of guy. But, you know, when it's time for him to talk, that that locker room listens. And then you have uh, Kyle Gibson, who really transitioned into more of a leader role um, alongside Trey Neal for for last season with trade, you know, transferring to Nebraska. I think Kyle is going to be uh, crucial in helping those younger guys come along. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Pat Jasinski, Luke, and underrated fact like we talked about um <laughs> trivia question for everyone out there who was UCF's leading tackler in 2017 it wasn't Shaquem Griffin it was Luke's just mm-hmm. it, it was Pat Jasinski 
So it was Luke Saris. It was. You're gonna, you're <laughs> you're gonna say Luke Saris. Right I was there. about to say it was Luke Jasinski. No, no, it was Pat Jasinski. <laughs> but um, Eric, I want to I want to go back to you because um, you know, you know, we uh, like we've talked about, you know, that how good Shaquem was and um and the holes in the front seven that are going to be ha- or that are going to have to be filled, you know. I think a lot of people were critical of the defense late last year, but they lost sight of the fact that that team was playing 11 consecutive weeks after the hurricane. The last two weeks against, uh, against two of the top, I think five offenses in the country um, in terms or two of the top 10 offenses in the country in USF and Memphis um, and the secondary, I think, at times really did get burned. And, you know, Trey Neal was one of those guys that you know, I think took a lot of flack. But he was an underrated leader for this team last year. Um, do you think, Eric, that he might be one of those guys that maybe UCF really does miss more than you might think? Or could it be somebody else whose presence that you feel might be felt more than anything? I think it's a combination. I mean, yes, uh, Jasinski led them in tackles. Part of the reason I would argue they led in tackles is because everybody was plant game planning for Shaquem Griffin Yeah, because he had just won defensive player of the year. He got a lot of attention and really helped a lot of other guys make plays. Um, you know, Trey, obviously, it's funny. Fans have an interesting perspective. They only re- have selective memory. I feel like Trey is, you know, all of a sudden, because he leaves for Nebraska, nobody likes and nobody ever likes a player leaving their team. They tend to pick out, well, you know, look at him against you, South Florida. He looked terrible. Yeah, he, 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 you know, he, he got burned on a couple of plays in the Everybody South Florida. Everybody looked but, terrible on defense against South Florida. They gave up 605 let, yards to one guy. <laughs> I mean, what, it, what it's funny is, you know, when our offense makes plays, it's because we're a great offense when the other team scores on us, like Memphis, who, by the way, was one of the you mentioned earlier is one of the better offenses in the country as well. Apparently, it was defensive fault, right? Yeah, they were no, they were yeah. Memphis was the number two scoring offense I mean, in the country. UCF I mean, was number one, which included and Murph and I talked about it in the press box. Anthony Miller, who is now a, a starting wide receiver at the Chicago Bears, as much as everybody loves Traquan, and I'm the biggest Traquan guy. I think Anthony Miller may end up being even just as good, if not better, in the NFL. He's already ahead of him by starting. Whereas Traquan is still trying to get a gig with the Saints starting wise. So uh, I think where you miss those guys is depth. And again, this is going to be a repeated thing. This team did not have any injuries at all uh, of significance. And I think while you might have a guy that can replace Trey, uh, you know, Trey, that's just as talented, if not more talented, the issue becomes what happens if that guy goes down mm-hmm. and then what happens? And I think th- there's a rippling effect there. And I do believe in intangibles. Who we are, who you know? I think Shaquem Griffin was a guy that rose to the occasion in the Peach Bowl. I do think, you know, Trey Neal. What I do remember with Trey Neal is he made big plays. He did get the interception. Uh, Murph brought up the defensive line. The guys that put pressure, they're gone. Um, you know, and they were hungry. They were hungry. They hadn't won before. Are these guys still as motivated and hungry? It's a lot harder when you've gone, you know, undefeated in a season and have the success that you did. So I think it's more about the intangibles of the concern than the actual physical talent that, that that's my concern. Any worries at all, Eric, about the move to Randy Shannon's four three? Yes. Yes. Uh first of all, um that's a scheme, you know, change, you know, now I, you know, I think a four three three four players will tend to adjust. You have enough athletes that can do a little bit of both. But yeah, I think. Look, I think uh, you know, 
there's going to be pressure on Randy Shannon here. Uh, you know, let's be honest. Didn't end well at Miami. There's a reason why he's here. It didn't end well at Florida either. So I think people are kind of waiting, seeing about how this defense looks. Will it be better? Will the scheme be better? Who knows? I think time will tell. Uh, but yeah, I think there's questions with the scheme. I think there's questions. Does the scheme fit this, this, uh, the, t- the roster, you know, one of the things that I think was interesting about, you know, the previous staff was they allowed players to have input as far as, Hey, look, I, you know, I don't know if this works, man. Can we try this? Can we try that? And I think it worked. Um, will Randy do that? I don't know. Will time will tell, you know, can they adjust? to what they have personnel-wise. I will Time will tell if something's not working. I think those are some of the questions that, again, we'll find out during the season. Yeah, well, um, time will tell. They always told me in grad school, don't end the story on that. So I can't, I can't end the story on that. But, we, yeah, I, I, I do think that you know, when you're talking about a totally different personality of a staff, um, yeah, that may very well manifest itself in a different way. But um, we're going to find out, like you said, Eric, real quick as we make our transition over to talking about the schedule because uh unlike last year unlike the year before ucf does not start with a relative cupcake um you're starting on a thursday (laughs) hey listen here we go listen yeah i wait did the schedule change listen listen the opener thursday august 30th on the road at connecticut okay i get it i get it i get it but this is a conference game against an experienced head coach, and you got a first-year head coach for UCF, first-year staff um, on the road. You know they're going to get. You know that UConn is at least going to be getting up for this game, right? Um, and that's and that's where it starts. Seven p.m. national television, ESPNU, uh, on the road, on in conference to start. Now they get oh, they get the short well well the the, the like a half bye week basically before. The home opener against South Carolina State, but your other non-conference opponents uh, at North Carolina, September fifteenth, Friday game against FAU at home. You you know for sure they've got that date scheduled. FAU has been chirping a little bit about that game. It's going to be on ESPN on a Friday night. Pitt at home, another non-conference, and then your uh, in-conference schedule has some tough uh, road games attached to it. Um, Memphis. On the road, you know we know how good Memphis was last year. We're going to see how good they are this year. East Carolina, always a tough game on the road. Uh, USF on the road to finish out the season. Home games for UCF on the conference slate uh, include uh, SMU, Temple, Navy, and Cincinnati. The one good thing is on the schedule, though, is that after that Saturday, October 20th game in Greenville against East Carolina, UCF doesn't leave the state until the end of the regular season at the very least. Uh, the Temple Navy Cincinnati games uh, are all. First of all, there's a bye week on October the 27th. The weekend of October the 27th is the bye. At least that's the way it's scheduled right now. Who knows what Mother Nature has in store for us? Um, but uh, after that, Thursday, November 1st, at home against Temple, uh, you're home for Navy, home for Cincinnati, and then at USF, 100 miles away in Tampa. So at least that part of the schedule works out in addition to the three straight home games against FAU, Pitt, and SMU. So my question is, uh, Luke, I'm going to start with you on this one. We'll have you lead off. What are the worries for you when you just kind of look at the schedule and you're like, okay, this is the game that's going that if UCF does trip up, this is the most likely game that they're going to trip up. 
I, I mean, to me, it's it's the Memphis game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how um, how similar Memphis is going to be to last season. You know, they have they definitely have some personnel change. Yeah, but no more it, Riley it, Ferguson, thank God. Yeah, well, I mean, we shut them down uh, when we played them the first time, but you know that that conference championship game was was something else. And, you know, we're going to be in their house. So I, I definitely think that that jumps out as, um, you know, definitely the the biggest game that worries me. Um, you know, East Carolina is is a great atmosphere. I've been to games there. Um, you know, it is a, a a longer rivalry than than I think most people know. I, I think we played them the second most out of any team we've ever played. Um, but I, I don't think they're going to be um, nearly – as competitive as they would need to be to, I mean, you know, granted it, the season hasn't started. You, you really don't know how these teams are going to perform, but you know, it's, it's lucky that I think um, having Pitt and FAU at home, huge advantages, but yeah, that, that Memphis game on the road definitely um, worries me. Uh, Brian. Well, I think I've already on record on this podcast by giving UCF's odds of going undefeated again, the old blue Tarski 0.0% chance. Hater! You're such a hater! (laughs) Right? Because it just doesn't happen, right? Like, like, you know, how many times have Nick Saban's Alabama teams gone back-to-back undefeated? Oh, that's right, they haven't. They haven't. There's a reason why this hasn't, there's a reason why this hasn't happened since 94, 95 when Tom Osborne was at Nebraska. Um, It just doesn't happen. So, there's a loss here. Let's just let's just throw that on the table. There's a loss this season, uh, maybe two. Which is okay. Uh, I, I think. Look, the, the ending the season against South Florida, you know, it's like Ohio State, Michigan. You you throw the records out, and, and you see what happens. And obviously, they will be thinking about that game and last year's game uh, all week leading up to uh, to that uh, rematch in Tampa. Uh, it, it's dangerous, it's obviously dangerous. And I think, yeah, having USF and Memphis, having both those games on the road, the, basically your two biggest threats in the conference, having both those games in the, on the road, I think it'd be really, it's gonna be really challenging. I'd say for UCF to, to, to come out on both of those on top. Uh, and the FAU game is just going to be so fun, especially if FAU can somehow beat Oklahoma uh, in Norman come week one, that's going to be an amazing game uh, in September. Elo, what do you think? Well, I'm like, unlike Murph, I'm not going to go like zero percent. And the reason is, I think this is a pretty soft schedule. I mean, I know people don't like to hear; they get defensive about the schedules and they yell about it. The reality is, the Eastern Division's garbage. Let's just call it for what it is. Wow, there's Elo really coming in strong with the Eastern Division. <laughs> it's probably it's, it's probably the worst division in college football. Whoa, right. whoa, whoa, it, whoa, 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 wait a second. What is this? What's okay, Skip go ahead. Tell me, how, tell is, me. Okay. how is Skip Bayless joining our podcast? Whoa. <laughs> is this tell the SEC network? Listen, who's good in the division? Sell me on somebody good in the division. I mean, I mean you're really worried about right, in, right at this hour. Now, part of this is a lot of the result of the coaching changes. You've had. Uh, lots of changes that were on the league. You mentioned Randy Etzel's in his second year. I think Randy Etzel's a good coach. That's a massive project. He's got I believe, like freshmen and sophomores playing on the defensive side pretty much throughout the board. That's going to take time. They're not good right now. East Carolina's not good. I don't think Scotty Montgomery makes it past this year. They've been that bad. Um, 
I think South Florida's got questions there at the quarterback position. They haven't beaten anybody of any quality in the last couple of years. There's a reason why they weren't ranked because they didn't beat anybody good last year. And now you lose your greatest football player in the history of that program and Quentin Flowers. I'm skeptical how good they are. Cincinnati, Luke Fickles in his second year. I, you know, that's a project right now. I, the, the strength of the American Conference, and I've said this, is in the Western Division. And I think, the, to me, UCF catches a break in that regard. They don't play Houston. Uh, they do go to Memphis. I agree. I think Memphis is the hardest conference game. you got to go to Memphis. I think Norvell's a great coach. Yes, they lose Ferguson at quarterback, but I think you have to trust Norvell and his offensive scheme. And if you look at the Memphis schedule – Outside of a game at Navy week two, their schedule is very soft, which should provide them with enough reps for their team to be ready to go when the UCF comes to town. So I don't I think South Florida, I will agree with Murph in that from a rivalry standpoint, you can never count out a rivalry game. But you, I mean, we saw Willie Taggart, bad team, give the UCF Fiesta Bowl team all they could handle on a Black Friday night. So I will agree with Murph there. But the Eastern Division is terrible. Like, stop it. Let's stop Let's stop pretending like this Eastern teams are any good. I, I, uh, I've got not. one for you. I've got one for you. I'm raising yeah. my hand, even though no one can see it because we're on a podcast. Uh, yeah. Conference USA West is pretty bad. I was just looking at that. <laughs> <laughs> Who we got in that division? Give me the we've breakdown. Got, we've got Texas San Antonio. We've got La that Tech. Where Larry Coker was? That was, yes, uh, Larry Coker started that program. Yeah, uh, who yeah. else do we have here? We have, I don't even freaking know. I guess Rice is, is in there. Texas El Paso. Te- UTEP is in there. Western, I think Western Kentucky is in there. It's No. No? Okay, well, it, it's bad. Uh, okay, wait, North, wait, North Texas. UAB. UAB's out there. North Texas is in that. And North Texas isn't that bad, actually. And they've 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 been they've been like perennially awful. Like they were the joke of college football for years. They're actually not that bad. Okay, listen. Uh, okay. And and the the Sun Belt's essentially an FCS conference. <laughs> <laughs> what about one sure of the, we, what about uh, one we of the lost to one of them a couple of years ago? What about one of the MAC divisions? Do, do we have do we have any faith in the MAC West with the directional Michigan schools and all that? No. Okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a heck of a selling pitch. Um, I, I, haven't right, got, I haven't gotten to Brian. They might be the worst division in the Power Six. How about that, Luke? Luke, you gotta know. There's always one thing that takes this podcast off the rails every episode, and, and we there's, just there's, yeah, there's, and we have hit it. Just did it. <laughs> <And> we, <laughs> podcast completely flies off the rails at least once. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna drag this elephant back into the stable. Um, <laughs> All right, I'll finish the thought. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I, I yeah. think FE, I, the tough games, I think, are in the West. And I think Navy at home. I know it's homecoming and it's at home. But that style of play with Navy, we saw that. They're yeah. going to play it at their pace and at their tempo. They're going to shorten the game, shorten the, the possessions. So you have to be very efficient on offense because you're not going to get the ball a lot. So I yeah. think Navy and Memphis, from a conference standpoint, are the two toughest games in the league. Outside of the conference, I do think FAU is tough. I think Lane Kiffin can coach. I think they're going to score some points. The question will be, can UCF outscore them and, you know, keep the ball clean? And what I mean by that is not turn the ball yeah. over. Uh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, I will say this. Pittsburgh's a team that's scrappy. You never know which Pitt team shows up. They seem to rise to the occasion when they're an underdog. North Carolina is kind of a 
wild card because they have a ton of injuries from last year. They got suspensions this year. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what to make of North Carolina, if they're going to be any good or not. So, But it's, it's in Chapel Hill. Uh, so those are tricky games, but you're not going to sell me in Connecticut and <laughs> Cincinnati at Temple. It's hard games. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. Well, I tried. Uh, uh, Brian, I'll go. Uh, uh, you're next. What do you what do you think? Where's the, where's the stumbling block here? What did I say already? Didn't I already talk about USF? Yeah. I don't know. You, I don't know. Forget. We went off we the rails the there show, and I forgot. Jeff. We forgot the show. See what happens. Okay. Right. I will follow up on one of Eric's points. It's a really good point. Like, yeah, the schedule is pretty soft. And I think one of the reasons why it's soft, not only because of the, the, the entire, you know, November being in Florida, but I, I love the way their bye weeks shake out. Like, you know, you, this isn't a team that has like, uh, a full like two week buy anywhere. Mm-hmm. They have three week and a half buys. Now the first one after the UConn game, preparing for South Carolina State. I mean, how necessary is that? We don't know. <laughs> but we we you know you they, they have the buy game after the ECU game. That buy leads into a Temple game at home that's on a Thursday. And so because that on a, because they return from a buy on a Thursday, they get another week and a half behind that. To prepare for Navy, that's which key. is so important. Yeah, that's key. For, so important. Navy. You get three or four more days to prepare for Navy. Here, here are the games that concern me. Uh, obviously, you talked about the Navy game, although, Brian, you make a great point about how there's like an extra two days to prepare. But people forget how hard fought that game was last year. That was no blowout. And yeah. it took a huge play by Bam Moore, forcing a fumble, and not to mention the fact that Navy lost their quarterback. He was running all over us the first half of that game. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and and so they had to play without their quarterback. Um, that was that that game left us sweating a bit, a little bit. I'm concerned about the left Jeff on life. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was I was hooked up to the oxygen after that one. Um, <laughs> I'm concerned about playing USF on the road, as is usually the case. I mean, uh, those empty seats are very intimidating. They're very loud. <laughs> well, if the, listen, if if that game comes down to comes down to the division, as it may very well be, um, that could, you just never know. It's a roll of the dice. Um, obviously, I'm also concerned about the Memphis game on the road. Um, the FAU game, boy, they're going to be ready for that, and I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot of folks making the trip up from Boca for this game because. They're treating this like it's the Super Bowl. This could be the big coming out party for the Lane Train um, if UCF's not careful. And I and I'm a little bit worried that they're that they're not going to take FAU seriously simply because they're FAU. Um, Kevin Smith's homecoming. Kevin, Kevin Smith's coming back. Yeah, homecoming. people forget that he's the running back coach at FAU. But I will. Gi- but I will give credit to one Luke Saris for this little nugget. You ready, boys? Here we go. UCF comes in ranked number 21 in the country. As a ranked as a team ranked in the AP top twenty five, UCF all time is seven. It, correct, Luke, correct me if I'm wrong. In the seventeen and one, is that correct? Correct. Seventeen Facts only. Seventeen I, and oh, one. I know the loss too. Okay, what's the loss, Eric Lopez? They lost at home to Southern Miss, right? And who was the head coach of that Southern Miss team in 2010? Larry Fedora. Larry Fedora, who is now the head coach at North Carolina. North Carolina. That's right. So. He's got that going for him, which is nice. <laughs> which is nice. At the North Carolina. The problem is he, he didn't have any Southern Miss players suspended for selling Mike Air Jordan shoes. Yeah. Fair yeah. point. <laughs> Fair point. But I'm still going to throw that out there. You better believe I'm hanging on to that little, that little synergy, piece. Synergy. Synergy. Yep. Narrative so. I like it. No, I like that. That's good. Okay. 
So, um, all right, so we've got the schedule down. We've talked about the offense. We've talked about the defense. Um, let's go around the horn here as we kind of finish up. Um, what? Uh, it, okay, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to list our record predictions because we're going to have an article coming up this week, uh, a little bit later this week, where everybody on the staff is going to be pr- giving their predictions on the season. So I'm not, I'm not going to spoil that one for you. Um, what I'm going to ask each of you guys is for the entire team, okay, best case scenario, and I know I did this with the offense, but I want to ask each of you guys this for the entire team in general. Best case scenario for the season, worst case scenario for the season. And you can give me a record if you want. Uh, you can give me just like one sentence that would sort of describe what happens. Um, and I think, Eric, I'll start with you. I actually think they can go undefeated. I don't think it – I think everybody's just assuming that, that they can't go undefeated. They could certainly go undefeated. Again, I think it's a manageable schedule mm-hmm. uh, for reasons that I've already pointed out. I think, I think they're head and shoulders above everybody in the Eastern Division. Um, and if they can stay healthy, I think they can get to undefeated again. I think they can go to the conference title game and host again. And I think they can end up in the Peach Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl again and repeat as Coley Matrix National Champions. Oh, That's don't the, throw that out there. Come on. It is. What do you mean? What did I say? It's, <laughs> it's the Coley Matrix National Champions. Yeah, so, so you sound want. like the Tampa Bay Times. Ah. He did. <laughs> go, yeah, go. Eric, Eric's a mole. Eric's a mole. <laughs> I said we're the repeated national champions. I don't know what yeah, that's what it said in the NCAA. Yes. We're the cult, the you know, the national champion poll. I mean that's jo- that's weird. Joey Joey Knight is listening to this podcast. He's very happy oh, with what yeah. you just said. He'll, he'll, what did I che- say wrong? The checks in did the I mail. not say factual statement? Did I not say a factual statement? <laughs> I mean So but, so, you know. so your best case scenario is undefeated again, New Year's six bowl, but not the playoff. Correct. They're not going to make the playoffs. And I, that's not being critical about it. It's just reality. Like, they're not going to get into the system. I mean, they got they didn't get into the system last year. They're not going to get in this year. I think okay. the, 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 the polls have kind of shown they're not – We're unfortunately, the, the college football playoff is this party, and we're not invited to it. So I, I hope people – I really do. I generally hope people don't – assume that because they go undefeated again that they're all now they're going to make the playoff historically it hasn't happened boise state's gone undefeated twice they haven't made the playoffs it just isn't and until the system changes to a group uh uh and expands to eight it ain't gonna happen so uh, i'm not looking at it as a negative i'm just being reality about it um that's just the way it is they're not gonna make the playoffs it won't happen until what, like twenty twenty four, right? Like that's how long this Probably. is in place. Contract yeah, is coming I mean, up then, twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five. Yeah. Well, and and you know we had uh, we put it up on the site. Obviously, Tim Brando was on in the Orlando radio station ninety six nine on the Finish Line Drive Time Show uh, with Jerry O'Neill and myself. I actually had to fill in, and you know Barry Alvarez was even now discussing maybe going to six teams in the playoff, and uh, the, you know, but again. Until we go to eight, because I'm not convinced even if they go to six that they're going to include a group of, you know, a non-power five, quote unquote, team into the system. I I think they're going to have to go to eight. And I've said this. The way you do it is you do the five, the six conference champions automatically in the power six, if you will. Or if you want to say that the American is, you know, joined in with the Mountain West and all that is the six conference champion. That's probably the way they're going to do it eventually. And then you have the two at-large teams, and I think it, I think we're going to get to that point. I just don't think it's going to be anytime soon. 
but they will get to that point eventually because there's plenty of money to be made on playoff games and nobody cares about bowl games anymore as far as <laughs> watching games is concerned. The television ratings prove that. Um, so I think we're going to get to that. But to Murph, as you mentioned earlier, I don't think until the TV contract runs out, which is at about, yeah, I think it's 2024, I believe. It's around eight years. I don't see a change in the system. And I certainly don't see them saying, oh, you know, you know, yeah, you guys went undefeated again. We changed our mind. We're going to put you in. I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. I don't see the committee ever doing that. I don't see the AP poll doing that. And I don't see the coaches poll doing that. I mean, they, they kind of somehow get a pass in all this. They're just as guilty as everybody else in the system. So if you got a problem with it, blame all of them. Okay, um, so if that's the best case scenario for UCF. By the way, I, I'm okay with it. I'd sign <laughs> off on it right now. I would sign <laughs> off on it. What's the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario is thinking, let, let me hear, here, here's how I explain it. Two years ago, when they went six and seven, they should have probably won the Temple game. They blew the Temple game. They blew the Houston game, and Houston had a big lead there, and they lost that game as well. There was mm-hmm. a third game, the Maryland game, McKenzie's first start, where they turned yeah, the ball over. That game went to overtime, and they lost it. So you could argue that team probably should have been nine and three if the ball bounces their way. It didn't bounce their way. I look at last year. They could have lost the Memphis title game very easily. I mean, Murph and I have discussed this in previous episodes about some Memphis really had chances to they win sh- that game. And didn't. They should have lost. They should have lost that game like outright. Yeah. Could have. Well, Memphis I mean, had really a field could've. goal to win it and missed. Correct. Correct. So they could have lost that game. They could have lost uh, the South Florida game. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could have, a play here or there could have easily turned that game around. And they could have lost either pick your take your pick, either the Navy game or the SMU game. The SMU was driving. They had a chance to drive late in that game. So they could have easily been nine and three last year if the ball doesn't ba- you know, doesn't bounce the way. The ball did bounce their way uh very easily. So I'm, my concern is does things kind of even out and they drop three games out of nowhere? And it reminds me of the Houston team with Tom Herman. Remember Tom Herman his first year, they went, I think, eleven and one. They won the American Conference title. The only loss they had was because Greg Ward didn't play in it because he was banged up, and they beat Florida State. So they came with the hype the year after. They came, they beat Oklahoma. Everybody's talking about them maybe crashing the party in the playoff, and they lost at Navy. They lost at uh, SMU. They lost three games, and it just everything went wrong. Uh, and I just, that's my worst case scenario fear is that maybe the ball doesn't bounce their way. Maybe mm. the intangibles don't go UCF's way and you lose a couple of games here because either you turn the ball over too much or an injury to a position that really hurts you like the offensive line or, or, or as Luke mentioned earlier, even, you know, fr- you know, hopefully not, but the quarterback position yeah. and all of a sudden it's a completely different season. That's my concern and biggest fear is you're an injury or two and a ball bounce away from maybe a couple of losses. But I think at worst, they're 9-3. and three. That's the worst-case scenario. You mentioned the Houston team. They went 13-1 and one in 2015. The following year in 2016, they finished 9-4 and four and lost in the Las Vegas Bowl. But that was the Houston team that they started out 5-0, and oh, and they were heading into Annapolis to play Navy at number six in the country. They started at number 15, beat then number three, Oklahoma, in the opener, and then lost at Navy, lost, or then they won a game at Tulsa, and then they lost at SMU, and then they lost at Memphis in the final game 
of the uh, of the or the next to yeah no in the final game of the regular season, and uh, and then that was it. They were nine and three. They got and congratulations. Here's your ticket to the Las Vegas Bowl. So um, and that was with three games at home to finish out. So um, that was a tough break for uh, Houston. Um, Luke, best case scenario, worst case scenario. Best case scenario, undefeated. Mm-hmm. I mean, you okay? You playoff the, or no? Okay. I and fans are not going to like this. I don't think they will let us in. Uh, even if we go undefeated again, even if we're finishing, um, you know, after the conference championship week on a twenty-six game win streak. Um, you know, it, it, it'll be amazing to see that play out if it does happen. You look at the schedule. There is no team on UCF schedule that they cannot beat. Right. There's no there's no team that you, you look at and say, oh, man, this, you know, it's going to be a miracle if we win this game. But, you know, it's clearly almost impossible to repeat undefeated seasons. I mean, it hasn't happened in, you know, almost uh 25 years. Yeah, Nebraska so, 94 95 was the last as far as I know undefeated FBS team back to back and they won went 13 and 0 one year 12 and 0 in the next. Yep, I I mean but but here's here's something else I found interesting and I and, and I tweeted this out. We had a colleague um here at SB Nation, Morgan, I can't pronounce her last name. But Morgan Moriarty, I think you're talking about, right? Moriarty, yes. Yeah. Sorry, Morgan. Um, but she she wrote this great article about you know uh, G five teams that went undefeated and then the next season you know fell apart. Here's the thing: she lists all these teams, all these seasons. Not one of these teams returned their quarterback from the previous season. I mean, I'm talking about 2004 Miami of Ohio when they had Ben Roethlisberger. Um, 2004, um, Utah with Alex Smith, mm-hmm. you know, Mackenzie Milton, not only is he returning, but this is a guy who finished eighth in the Heisman voting for last year. So, I mean, y- you really can't compare e- even, uh, 2006 Boise, when they went undefeated the following season, they went 10 and three, they didn't return their quarterback. Uh, you know, I think this is a huge part of it. I think the talent is there. I think the schedule um, definitely, you know, wills itself in, in a situation where UCF can win them all. Um, with that being said, it's just it's not realistic. But who thought going thirteen and zero and winning the Peach Bowl last year was realistic? Yeah. So, best case scenario, undefeated again. Um, it, even if that happens, I, I still think we'll be left on the outside looking in. But you know, hopefully my, my boys at the the Coley Matrix can come through <laughs> again if that were to happen. There you go. Boy, you there guys. You go. Or, I just want to. Th- I, I just want to thank everyone for being so optimistic this year. I, by the way, <laughs> by the way, can, why don't, can, don't forget, don't forget, we were also the Dan Levitard Show National Championship yeah, and the Nevada that. Dentist Association of yes. and, and the and the Touchdown Club of Columbus, Ohio. And True. the Reddit College Football Net. Listen, we we've had lots of Reddit CFB. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, listen, I, you know, but it's just it it's not realistic that that can, it can happen again. 
Um, although it, it's definitely possible. I wouldn't give it a 0.0%. Percent I was going to say, let, let me ask you there. Like, where do you side, Lucas? He's, he's at zero. I got it at 50%. They can go undefeated. 50-50, I think they can go. Where do you, you go higher? Yes, I do. So a I mean, one in, there's a think... one in two chance, Eric. Okay. I, I don't I, honestly, Eric. I don't think that's that's crazy at all. Thank you. I really don't. Um, I mean, you know, fans don't want to hear it, and and you know the the SEC homers jump all over it. But who on our schedule can you say that team is going to beat us? Well, you can't say that. I I don't think I think you're right, right Luke. There's no there's no every team is beatable. We we'll, we'll just see, you know, like I said, it has to be a perfect storm again. There are a lot of different variables, um, but it, it's doable. Worst case scenario, you know, we go 11 and three with a or 12 and two with hopefully a uh, a New Year's six bowl. Mm-hmm. But I think if we lose two two or more games, uh, you know, I think Boise is a good enough team that they'll get that that G5 bid yeah. to um to the New Year's Six Bowl. So, you know, the thing is, the it's going to happen eventually. And I, and I say this all the time. I've been in too many Twitter battles for us to ever lose a game again. Um, <laughs> but when it happens, I mean, people are going to jump all over it. But the, oh, yeah. the, reality, the reality of the situation is what happens this season has no way any effect on what happened last season. We will – we went undefeated – you know, we all the accomplishments they happen, and and you know if we lose the game this year, it's going to sting and people are going to jump all over it. But that's not going to change anything we accomplished last year. But um, you know, fan, there there comes a time to be a realist, and there comes a time to be a fan. And realistically, you know, it's 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 almost impossible to go back to back undefeated. But it's not impossible. I think if there's any team that can do it. You know, granted, talent and schedule, it's, it's you know, last year and this year's um, UCF team. Brian Murphy. Yeah, let me just say again, like, I don't think <laughs> there's a game on this schedule that they're going to lose outright. I'm not saying they will definitely lose this game. I am saying I am resting my head on the pillow of history and saying that there's a reason why this hasn't happened in almost 25 years, because it just is, it doesn't happen. So to say that it's it will, hard, <laughs> it's hard to do or to give it a 50% chance. Oy vey. <laughs> um, so, hey, we'll see, so hey, I'm just saying, man, gotta be bold again, sometimes. Yeah. So <laughs> zero point zero. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, look to me, that doesn't, that, that also means they could go like 12 and one and I could definitely see that happening. So I think the worst case scenario is a lot more grim. Uh, look, this team had a lot was pretty lucky, not only in game, but in the medical room, too. Like, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, the significant well, time, the significant time injuries they had last. Like the guys that lost Juwan to like, major Hamilton, of time. Javon Hamilton was a pretty big injury. I remember at the time. Exactly. Exactly. What also helps is when you have three other four of the running backs who were pretty good, too. Fair so point. they had plenty. Of depth, they had plenty of that position. They lost Aaron Evans for the bowl game. I thought that was big. It held up well. Jake Brown played pretty well against a really good defense. Dadrian Bacote was a backup linebacker who basically missed the entire season. Uh, and then uh, Navelle Clark was suspended. Uh, he came back, played well. I love Navelle Clark. I'll be on record and just say, like, I have a huge man crush on him. I think he can be fantastic. Wow. He's, all, he's also, uh, he's also he has the incredible superpower of being able to literally stand on his head. 
It is for 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 hours upon time. So Evans, uh, Hamilton, uh, Bacote, and uh, there's one other. Oh, Hudanik, who was kind of in and out of the lineup, but they had plenty of offensive line depth on the inside, on the interior. So they th- there was like four guys. That's it. Like for a full college season, that's that's really fortunate. So my worst case scenario is this okay. Thursday something cataclysmic happens to one McKenzie Milton. Heaven forfend. Unbelievable. I'm going to edit this out. Of course it is your worst case scenario. Why does it have to be this Thursday? Because it's right away. It's right off the bat, right off the jump. Something happens. So, (laughs) look, that is the worst case scenario, that something happens to Mackenzie Milton. Like, they've raved a lot about uh, Daryl Mack, but, again, he's never played a game. So the the worst case scenario is something happens to Mackenzie Milton that's that's cataclysmic. We spend our entire falls wetting our eyes, uh, drying our eyes with the lays that they hand out before the season, and they probably go like six and seven. That's a that's a pretty powerful case that I don't even pretty want to dark, think about. Pretty that's, dark. That's, pretty dark. Well, I, I bl- pretty dark. listen, listen. I, I I blame myself. I asked for the worst case scenario, and lo and behold, I got it. <laughs> Um, I gave you. I gave you the apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> no, no, Mackenzie Melton. I, I still think they're. An, if if they didn't have Mackenzie the entire season, I still think they're an eight or nine win team. Yeah. Wow. Some, okay. Something says. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. How many okay. games is? And that's an interesting question. So, are you saying that because you think it's more about the scheme and about the players around him than him? Uh, Why you say it, or is that, or is that because depending on which games he misses, like for example. He missed the like if he misses, I think the East Carolina game. I don't think it matters personally. Uh, mm-hmm. But if he misses, for example, a game against Navy, I think that makes the the biggest difference in the world. Yeah, no. He, listen, I Mackenzie Milton has has evolved into a fantastic quarterback, but he has a, an almost an unlimited number of weapons around him. Um, you know. He goes down. You're still going to have guys like Otis and Adrian Killens and, and Dredrick Snelson. Um, you know, I, I I don't think that. I mean, obviously, McKenzie make makes UCF one of the best offenses in the nation. But you know, you you have to put in a, a backup quarterback. I, I still think the scheme and the the skill players around the offense, you know, warrant the team to still win. You know, eight games I, aligned I, with in, in line with the schedule. I'm I'm like getting breaking out into that. a cold sweat. All this talk talk about it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I would like, like to not think about that. As, I can tell you fun. this, by the way, real quick. By the way, assuming Mackenzie Milton's healthy, okay. right, I'm just everybody's healthy. Uh, people I know in Vegas says that UCF will be favored by at least a touchdown in every game. At least, well, it, it as as things stand right now. Correct. Obviously. Okay. Things could change. I mean, I think Memphis could be the one where I think if I would, if I had to guess, I think Memphis will be will end up being probably a three point game if Memphis is there undefeated or has a one loss. Also, the you, old, also you have people you talk to in Vegas. This is news. You're darn right. I have people <laughs> across the country. Who probably. who are they? Can I talk to them? I'm just, just these, these are just tweets on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, okay. That, that's that. Okay. That's what we'll go with. Um. All right. Injuries notwithstanding, because God knows what would happen in that case. My worst case scenario is the games they lose end up being key games in the division race. So Memphis, USF, um, and then you lose, maybe you lose that game against FAU, maybe you lose that game against North Carolina. 
and then you're staring at you know eight and four, right? You know, you just get some bounces. The bounces that went your way last year, they don't go your way this year. You end up losing those key games. You lose the division, and then you know, hello, Birmingham. Whatever, whatever Birmingham, exactly. You know, let's let's have Boca Raton. have fun there. Yeah, but well, actually, I wouldn't mind going down to Boca Raton. I'll be honest with you, but. Um, the best case scenario is, and this is, and this, this I think is what we're kind of uh, arrived at a consensus. I think what you guys are all saying is this: UCF has a greater than fifty percent chance of winning each game they play. Right? Mm-hmm. They have a less than fifty percent chance of winning all games. Right? So. If that's the case, I do think that the best case scenario is, yeah, they will go undefeated yet again. And they've won and they go into the conference championship game winners of 25 games in a row. Um, God, you know, who knows who they play in the, in the game? Probably Memphis, I would think. Either Memphis or Houston is probably who I would put my mind. I wouldn't on. discount Navy. I wouldn't discount Navy out of that conversation. Fair point. Uh they like, I like their quarterback they have. I actually think he's an upgrade over what they had last year. So it's, it's going to be one of those three teams. This Agreed. is the year Agreed. of the okay. green wave. Ooh. Ah, that's, that's a... Rising up. That, bold predictions. That's, yes, that, that, is, that, is, uh, give, that is a bold prediction give, indeed. Did they give Matt Forte more eligibility? <laughs> oh, come on. That's, that's harsh. That's harsh. Let's, let's, be, ni- let's be nice to our friends. Let's be nice to our friends from Fear the Wave now. Um, the, That's true. Uh, uh, and certainly in a, in a one-game situation, who knows, but they win the conference. They go to New Year's Six Bowl game, and here's, here's my bold prediction. The difference between last year and this year is that UCF is actually starting ranked. All right? For the first time in, in school history, UCF is starting a season with a number next to their name. And I believe that, you know, remember, it took, I think, what was it, six games for UCF, for UCF to finally get ranked last year? Like now that they are ranked, as they continue to win and other teams begin to fall out, UCF will start to climb. We saw this was the case with Boise State a few times, actually, starting last year. Or not last year, but uh, but starting after one of their undefeated seasons where they got a head start. And then all of a sudden, late in the season, they were, I think, number three in the country before they lost to Colin Kaepernick in Nevada in Reno in overtime. I think that was twenty. 11, if I'm not mistaken. I can, correct me if I'm wrong. But my prediction would be if UCF goes undefeated and wins the conference, that they will sneak in as the number four team in the playoff. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, 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 knew you, I knew you were going to set it up like that, and I, could, I, I just I can't believe it. I think, that, I think that the what? fact that they're starting out ranked is the key. There's no doubt that, that it helps. It whether, helps. I, whether people... Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Whether people will yeah. admit it or not, those those voters and 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 the the playoff committee they are they know in the back of their heads they're not going to let UCF above a certain point. And I, I as, think you, as bad I think as you have is, a point there. The, but but here's my case about it. And forgive me, Luke. But uh, uh, but my thing is like if UCF goes undefeated and they don't let UCF get say above like sixth. The very legitimacy of the college football playoff as a whole and the committee itself is at stake. 
That's why no, I think are you they gonna would feel, let them in. Wait a minute. Are you gonna, you're, so you're telling me just because, oh, well, they put them sick, so I feel better about the system all of a sudden? If they're end of, I, that, I don't think, I don't understand why we're really that outraged about, well, you know, we're number six, where so I feel better about it. I mean, I don't No, think, no. What, I'm, think what I'm saying yeah. is if they keep UCF out, all of a sudden they look stupid in the eyes of the public. I don't agree with that. I think you're going to have people, you're going to have your percentage of the audience that's going to say that no, they're not. They didn't play anybody and they didn't beat anybody and they're going to go with the perception. College football is a lot like gymnastics and cheerleading. It's not really – it's about who the names and stuff like that, unfortunately. So I, 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 they've left Boise State out multiple times. They've left two Utah teams. You know, you go to that page 115, which has been obviously become popular. Go to 2008. They, Utah went undefeated for the second time with a different coach, different quarterback. They went undefeated. They didn't even sniff it. They gave it to a one-loss Florida team, won the national title, who lost to a Ole Miss at home, the famous, infamous Tim Tebow speech game. <laughs> uh, Oklahoma that year lost a game. This has happened over and over and over again. It's not like, oh, well, this time we'll let you in. Now, I do agree with you in that I think if they were to go undefeated, I don't think they would be – I don't remember where – I think they were like 10th or 12th in the leading up to the peak. The Peach Bowl in the in the rankings, I don't think they would be as low. I think they would be inside the top ten, but I don't think they would be put in in the top four. Luke, what do you think? Well, I mean, those teams, that was a different era. I mean, that was the BCS era. There wasn't a committee selecting these teams, you know. The sure. the the, the, agree, bi- the bias. Well, I mean, you know, I think the bias is is even higher now because these these people are deliberately saying no you're not good enough it's not these computer simulations spitting out numbers and and taking things into account and saying mm-hmm. okay no you're not in it it is people legitimately saying we don't think you're good enough um and listen there are 60 some odd teams who play non-power five schedules every year why aren't more teams going undefeated if it's so easy if it's so easy to just you know, win them all in, in in a conference that's not a Power Five conference. How come we don't see it more often? Um, the, the the thing of it is, you know, as much as I want to say, okay, they they would put us in. I I, I don't think they would. Um, and it's it's terrible. And and there's going to be half the people saying you're right. You know. We were the power five, you know, UCF hasn't played anybody. And then there's going to be people, you know, who are going to be outraged. And like I said, there were six is- people. There were six people in the media that actually did not vote UCF into the top 25, which is laughable. It's laughable. Right. But did we do it to ourselves? <laughs> that That's that's no. what I keep trying to figure out. Right. It, the, the uproar we made, is is that sure. why we're getting the disrespect? Or is it or is it simply just disrespect for for the teams and the conferences outside of the power five uh, and honestly I, I think it's a little bit of both i agree but- agreed i agree with that i agree with you luke i think there's two parts yes i think there are a percentage of people out there that are absolutely turned off by what the the so all the chatter and all the six seven months i mean it is it's out there um, whether you like it or not, it's out there, and people have differences of opinion. That's but how you, this works. But let me ask you this though: yeah. is what, what is the larger population? Is it the, is the larger population the number of people that are pissed off at UCF for doing that, or it, or think, is there, or is the larger population say the number of people who are like, yeah, all right, UCF, stick it to the man? You know what I mean? 
I think we it depends that. on what region. I think it depends on the region. I mean, what region? <laughs> it depends are, if it, on if you're if you're, if gonna, you're affiliated with an SEC school or not. <laughs> that, that's not even true because some somehow along the the lines, and and I noticed this somehow somehow we got into this this battle with Boise State fans. Correct. Um, right. Yeah. And <laughs> out of nowhere, I'm just like, why? Why does Boise State hate us so much? And and I actually saw a, a Boise player from one of their undefeated teams who were like. Um, we we paved the the way for UCF. Um, we would never do something like that, you know. Our Maybe they should have. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You paved the way for us. Okay, you paved the way for us to get left out of the the conversation, just like you did. Thanks for the help. I appreciate that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's either make noise, try to shake things up, which we did, or you know, sit back with with our fingers crossed and just hope for the best. And yeah. you know, it's it's not popular, um, but. I think it was necessary, um, but now it becomes a, a question of did we did we do more harm than good? I I, I do have that concern, Luke. Uh, from this standpoint, like for example, I think UCF on paper is better than Boise State this year. I don't think there's any question about that, uh, personnel wise. Uh, but I think what I'm concerned about, let's say we get to that final vote in the committee, and forget the playoff thing for a second. What, let's say it's between Boise State and UCF, and let's say they have identical records. Do they give the benefit of the doubt to Boise State because they're less pissed off at them than UCF? Uh, that's my concern. Oh boy, moving that forward would be, on this, point. I can I would be. I would. I would put Danny White's Twitter account on notifications if that was. Well, the and here's the thing. I'm going oh, to. I'm going to warn everybody about. It. I'm going <laughs> to warn everybody about. It. Boise State plays at Oklahoma State. You watch if they beat Oklahoma State in Stillwater, they're going to hold that trump card. Uh, over a UCF potentially, uh, so I think Luke, that's interesting. You bring up the Boise State thing because I do, I did notice that. I don't, I think, I think it's a divided topic to be honest with you because I think college football in general is divided. I think, look, there are people out there that like the system the way it is that don't think they should have a playoff because it's the the regular season. I don't agree with it, but there are a lot of people that are out there, both in media and fan bases. Um, I also think there are people that are not necessarily supportive of UCF in this cause, but they're more anti-Alabama, so that's why they're supportive. There's also the camp that says, hey, let's just have a playoff. So I think there's a lot of different agendas going on with this, so it's hard. The thing that I think is important this year, you bring up the Boise thing. I think it's important for UCF to follow up with a monster year, whether it be 10-2, and 11-1, and 12-0. I think the one thing that Boise has is they've been consistent across the board for over a decade. And I think they're now, as a result, they get the benefit of the doubt in the rankings where I do think there are people that are skeptical of, can this team win without Scott Frost? Mm -hmm. Can this team do it again? Or this is the program that has had two winless seasons in the last decade, which not too many programs could say, unfortunately. And they have had a history of flopping. They've had a five-win season after the year they went to the Liberty Bowl. Um, you know, they, so that there are. I think the consistency. If UCF can put ten plus wins here back five years in a row, let's say, I think UCF will start getting the respect. That's how college football works. I know it's bizarre. I know people don't like it. It shouldn't come to that. It should be about this year and only this year, or last year and last year. But that's how this sport works. It's weird. It's it takes time for people like nobody embraced TCU for the longest time until the very end when they beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. And then next thing you know, they got into the Big 12. So yeah. same thing with Utah. So I think 
Uh, I do think this year the most important thing is to this program to have another monster year, win the league, and start building consistency so then people can shut up, basically. Well, let's wrap up with this point. When it comes down to the battle between, could it be, between Boise State and UCF for that, that, uh, that New Year's Six position. Gentlemen, I ask you this. What's the one common opponent that both of those teams have this year? UConn. Yep. <laughs> UCF the way, plays UConn in the opener, and, and Boise State plays at home against UConn on Saturday, September 8th. So you better believe, at least I do, that, that when it comes down to that, that, that might be a factor, <laughs> that, which means that well, this opener is going to be huge. Well, I think you're miss, you're, you better throw in FAU in that conversation because even if FAU loses to Oklahoma, let's say FAU loses to Oklahoma, wins out, including a win over UCF, that could be their trump card because I think they're going to run rough shot in Conference USA. So if they were to beat UCF, that could be the tiebreaker that FAU with Lane Kiffin, who the media loves, okay? The media loves Lane Kiffin. They can't get enough of Lane Kiffin. I, they could get the benefit of the doubt as well. That it, it, one of the, by the way, the other thing that hurts UCF. Everybody's focused about where UCF's ranked. You know what really hurts? There's no other team in the American Conference that gets ranked. That's a problem. Yeah, yeah. We, have, we have to change the perception of that. We have to start getting multiple teams in the league getting ranked in the preseason. That's why people have the perception that UCF doesn't play anybody in the conference. They're ranked in the conference, which is not fair. Because you have no control over that. That's why I think it's a flawed argument when people every time people bring up schedules. I mean, Gonzaga doesn't play anybody in college basketball in their conference, in the West Coast Conference, doesn't mean they're not one of the best teams in the country. So I think it's a flawed argument. But I think that's the perception that hurts UCF is that you look at the American, well, there's nobody ranked. And whereas the other leagues have multiple teams ranked, that hurts right. too. And I'll dovetail that by saying, you know, it would really help UCF if like Memphis could yes. like beat now Memphis has pretty much a junk non-conference schedule because they got like Mercer and South Alabama, but they do have Missouri. So again, SEC, South Florida plays Georgia Tech and Illinois, I believe. I know it, they're not like high class teams, but they are still power five, the power five, sorry, Danny White. They're still like power five teams that, that means something. They, they, those teams need to win those games. And that helps UCF. Yep, that's a good point. And that'll be key as we go toward the as we move toward the regular season, which begins on uh, this Thursday, August the thirtieth. All right, let's wrap this thing up real quick before we go. Uh, let's figure out what we're all working on here um, for this week. Luke, um, this is your first time on the podcast. What are you working on for this week? So uh, I will have your um, your UConn preview coming out here uh, within the next day so so keep an eye out for that um i'm going to break down the uh the biggest rivalry in ucf history <laughs> where the hell is the trophy where uh, uh brian what do you have coming up i will have a uh, article about uh, randy shannon's uh defense that's about a week overdue uh <laughs> I'll, have, I'll have that up at some point before a kickoff uh, I'm also uh, planning to put out my article. This is very much. Uh, this is this is very much related. Uh, my my conversation with Chad Matola and Drew Butera, whom both of whom are UCF Athletics uh, Hall of Famers, and I got to talk to each of them down in Tampa Bay last weekend when I went to a Rays game. So I'll have that on the site. 
and whatever else pops into my small, tiny brain. Solid before. weekend read there. Okay, hitting up some yeah. baseball. Oh, there you go. Elo, what do you got? Other well, than, of course, the Otis already... Anderson bit, which was really good, by the way. Everyone needs to check that out. Yeah, you can go right now to blackandgobanneret.com. You can see the one-on-one interview with I had with Otis Anderson. He talked about the position of the utility position, which is what he's defined as playing the receiver in the running back position. And what goes into that, he talks about that and who influenced him as far as growing up. So it's a really good stuff as well as what UCF player took him under his wing last year. I have a really good conversation with Otis. So I plan to do that hopefully every week or at least every other week with different UCF athletes, current and past. Uh, we're actually going to have in the near future, my one-on-one I'm going to have with Courtney Whitten of women's soccer, who scored a memorable goal against Florida state yep. women's soccer season. So I'm going to have that hope to have also uh, Kyle Israel in the near future quarterback nice. from the UCF 07 conference tie working on that among other things, obviously TV ratings uh, stuff will be coming out, hopefully, for the UConn game, although it's an ESPN user. It could be tricky to get those numbers. Uh, so I'll be monitoring that and any other media stories that comes out that involves UCF. In fact, uh, dude, I would ex- that will certainly could be some of the things in play. And, uh, of course, I have other obligations during the week. Uh, if you're depending when you're listening to this, I will either have been on or will be on. 96-9 the game on Tuesday. You're filling in on the finish line 3-6 to six with Jerry O'Neill, the sideline reporter for 24 years. The mustache for himself. 20- yes, and then our very own Jeff Sharon, by the way, will be on that show on Fridays during the season. Yes, So you'll be on this Friday probably recapping that UConn victory, uh, the UConn victory against the Huskies by 30 points. <laughs> UCF's favored by 23 <laughs> and a half, by the way. Uh, here's what I've got coming up this week. Uh, I, or Well, we all have, obviously, be on the lookout for Luke's preview of the game coming up, um, as well as, uh, all right, we got some really cool stuff coming up. We, uh, we reached out to our friends uh, in the SB Nation network uh, at the UConn blog, and we traded... Uh, five questions. So we sent them five questions about UConn that they sent back to us the answers, and we're doing it vice versa uh, with them as well. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, We will also have another podcast coming up uh, where we preview uh, the UConn game, and and, uh, one of them will be joining us uh, as well for that. Uh, That will be coming out on... uh, We're going to record that on Wednesday night. Uh, Don't forget to join us Thursday night, we will have our live blog as we did last year. Um, but but it's gonna it's gonna be a fuller house to say the least. Uh, on blackandgoldbanneret.com, we will have our uh, we will live blog the game. You can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are also on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret as well and facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Banneret. Uh, individually, you can follow us at Jeff underscore Sharon. Uh, also, Eric Lopez Elo. Spokes underscore Murphy for Brian. And Luke is at Luke Saris SBN. And you can subscribe to our podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. Luke, Brian, Eric, thanks again, boys. It's been, it's been grand. I'll catch up with you guys uh, well during the week, and we'll have one more podcast come, uh, to, uh, coming in to talk about the UConn game. Wee! <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Off we go. Wee! All right. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it as always. And this has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon. Thanks for listening. And we will catch you later this week for our preview of the Yukon game.